0: Galatians 5.13 says, But through love, serve one another. Let's pray. Lord, again, you've called us to serve out of love. And Lord, we know that there are many who need to be served. In fact, we all do. Lord, it just strikes me again how many needs there really are. And we've heard another one today with the Roberts family. And we know of a number of needs within our body and Perhaps for every one need we hear of, there are 20 that we do not know of. Lord, I pray that you would give us sensitivity to each other. Lord, help us to be a body of believers that you have meant for us to be. You tell us to love you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love our neighbor as ourselves. Lord, help us to truly see how we love you by how we treat each other. Lord, I ask that you would guide our thoughts. I ask that you would guide our convictions. Lord, I pray that as you do convict us, that you would change our hearts, that we would be teachable. Lord, help us to, again, want to truly be a team, truly be a, a local church that functions well together. Help us to... Weep with those who weep and rejoice with those who rejoice. And again, we ask that you would protect Eric and Tina, Michael, Caleb. And Lord, that we might be able to show love to them. Again, thank you for the fact that you give us this opportunity in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. If you'd like to turn your Bibles, junior church, little kids can go. If you'd like to turn your Bibles to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 13 and 14 we're going to be looking at. Again, as you know, a few weeks ago I we looked at we're going through Galatians. But we came to that one passage in Galatians 5 where it says through love serve one another. And purposely for the last few months I've been looking forward to that one passage, that one statement. Through love serve one another. Because what's been growing in my heart is looking around and and wondering some things as an elder. Asking the question of myself and of others, are we just busy? Or are we truly effective? Lord, are we really doing what you want us to do in this local church? Some of the reason was because people come and people go. And way to say, we need to stick. We need to stick together. We need to, through love, serve one another. And so I've been just working through that. And we looked at the first week, the fact of our priority of loving. Remember it says, Jesus was asked, what's the greatest commandment? He says, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's the first and greatest commandment. But also like it is to love your neighbor as yourself. Loving is the priority. And then last week we looked at how does that demonstrate it, and it's through the one another's. Even within our theme for this year, 2011, through love, serve one another. The one another's is what we're all to do. We are all to serve one another in many different ways as we looked at last week. Whether it's loving one another, receiving one another, praying for one another, encouraging one another, exhorting one another, or the word is warning one another, and on and on and on. There's 60 times where in Scripture it says One another. Over and over again, we are to show love to one another. By the way, the one another's is the sharing of our lives together. That's what I mean by the one another's. It's the rubbing of our lives together, which means we have to be around each other. You know, it can't just happen. And by the way, it can't just happen on Sunday morning. It really, it's great Sunday morning, but you really need to have your lives rubbing together more than just Sunday morning. Actually, hopefully in a small group, whether it's a men's group, men's prayer group or a women's prayer group or a neighborhood home group somehow where your lives are rubbing together with other even in a smaller intimate group that's very very important because otherwise you can live you can really live in a, like an island to yourself and that's very dangerous by the way not only are you not given to the body but when you go through needs and hurts and trials people don't know that you're going through it because you don't have that intimate group one of our goals, again, this year is to, at least my, one of my personal, is to see the men's prayer group become stronger. It ebb and flows. There's times where there's great commitment. There's times where there's low commitment to a men's group. By the way, if you're a woman, you can't come to it. But there are a women's groups. Um, so men, if, consider that. You may say, why go to a men's group? Because, again, there's connection in a smaller group. And if you're really going through struggles, we can work together because we're a team. That's what the one and others, but it's found in other things. Home groups, it's found, you know, sometimes through ABF. I mean, one and others can hap- even happen here. You've heard of a need today. Reach out. You know, it's all about the one and others, and it happens in different ways. But the reality is we need each other. That's the reality. We need each other. And America says we don't need anybody. We're individuals, right? That's what American culture says. The reality is Christianity says we need each other. So get connected however that is. You know, however it plays out in your life. You know, God has purposely designed the local church to include imperfect sinners. I'm going to keep saying that all year. I want, to, I want you to get, understand. I'm going to keep calling you imperfect sinners. Sinner. We had an informational meeting. Many of you stayed for last week. And it was excellent, by the way. It was just an excellent meeting. But one of the last questions, I think it was actually the last question, went something like this. What can we do to encourage people to come, that come, to deal with potential problems on their own? How, how do you deal with problems that people have? Because sometimes people have problems and they leave. You know, they kind of went down that path. And I'm saying all this because we're talking about being one another. We're talking about being committed to one another. And And as you have probably felt at times, when a person leaves, sometimes there's this almost like protectiveness that happens within your own soul of saying, "Well, I got close one time, I got close a second time, I'm not going to get close again. Do you see what I'm saying because you you have a bond, a commitment, and then someone you know they leave for whatever reason, might be a good reason, may not be. But the point is this: there's sometimes a cautiousness or maybe even a callousness that happens within my own soul, perhaps yours, when you hear about that and, you, and then you say, well, I don't want to do that again. I don't want to get connected that close again because it's only when you get close, closely connected that you can hurt. But the question was asked, you know, well, how do you deal? How do you encourage people to deal with the potential problem? How do you deal with people when they do leave? How, how should we respond to all that? And, and, and this is how I respond, at least partly. How should we be thinking about that? I think this is one of them. Define who we really are. I think as we define who we are as a church, it's going to make certain people committed to this church more, and some people say, that's not for me. But we have to know what we're about. We have to define who we're at. And that's why for a few weeks we're going to be looking at, through love, serve one another. Because I I want you to understand... This is the expectation of our church. This is what I'm, ex- I'm expecting to do, and I hope that this is your expectation of me, of the elders of this church, right? Because if your expectation's over here, and we're moving down this path, you'll be frustrated. One of the big expectations is shepherding, and we're going to be looking at that over and over again this year. Not redundantly, but from different aspects. The point is this. We're a plural eldership-run board uh, church. We're a board of elders. A group of shepherds, let's put it that way. A group of shepherds and and we work together as a team. And what I may not be able to do for you, hopefully one of the other elders, or if they can't, hopefully someone within the body doing the one another as well. Do you see how that all works together? Because one of the things that we need are new elders. And I want to make sure we're very clear as to what an expectation of an elder is because if it's so high... You know that. Let me change gears here. You know that the church is like. Uh, I, I remember someone writing. We're more like a salad bowl than a melting pot. A melting pot is what you put, you know, like steel and stuff. My grandfather worked in uh, in uh, the steel mills for forty plus years in Dunker, and uh, he made a lot of stainless steel. And when you make stainless steel, you a lot of it is ore, iron, but there's also carbon and i think it's I think it's cr- uh, chromium anyways, bottom line is this: when you put all those together and there's four other components uh, you have titanium, nickel, and some other things. But the point is is once you go into that melting pot, you never can be separated again you never you know and that's what makes stainless steel that's why it doesn't rust. Because it can never, the the atoms have been joined. But we're more like a salad bowl. Now think about that. A salad bowl. Uh, When you get a salad bowl, I love salad bowl. You know, and and you put all the stuff on, some olives and tomatoes and cucumbers, and then you have the dressing. And some of the uh, elements in that bowl are more distinct. You can taste them stronger. Other ones are very weak. You just very, you know, light taste to them. But you put all the stuff together. And I like big salad you know, tables where you can really... But the point is, is, that's a good illustration of the church. See, you don't lose your distinctiveness. That's the point. You don't lose your distinctiveness. You're not like a melting pot where once you join, you become... And then you're just with, like everyone else. You just become uh, uh, identical to everyone else. No, no, you hold your distinctiveness. In fact, that's why we wanted to go to 1 Corinthians 12. Because the idea is this, though we are the one-anothering... We serve in our spiritual gifts with distinctiveness. And you keep your uniqueness, though you work together. And that's not always easy, by the way. That's not always easy. So, again, I'm going to just kind of switch gears a little bit, still stay with the message. But um, I I just think you're going to see this happening both with the situation at hand and over this year. I think you're going to see this over and over again. And you have to ask yourself, you know, am I really part of this body as out of convenience or out of commitment? Out of convenience or out of commitment? Am I committed to the people here? Am I willing to do the one another's? Am I truly willing to to use my spiritual gift? Am I seeing where they're going as a group? That's the goal, who we are. And I'm willing to go along with and and really, really be committed to a group of people. Because again, I think what hurts bodies of believers around the world is when people come out of convenience and not out of commitment. And so, again, we want to look at the commitment part. Again, 1 Corinthians 12, it's spiritual gifts. This is that other half. We all want another, but we all have our spiritual gift. That's the unique part. Now, again, if you, go to, if you think about the Corinthian church, I mean, the Corinthian church had a lot of issues going on. A lot of issues. <laughs> I mean, they were a church with a lot of problems. By the way, the Apostle Paul had been there for 18 years. Or 18 months, excuse me. And um, he had got them going, but as so often happened, others came in. And for whatever reason, because the leadership was not moving in the right direction, a lot of different problems were happening. As one man said, sadly, within a few years after Paul's departure, severe moral and spiritual problems developed in the Corinthian church. The situation was so serious that Paul first, Paul's first letter to the Corinthians dealt ex- exclusively with the problems, and that's where we're at, with the division. Now think about this. How would you like to be involved in a church like this? There were divisions, personality cults. Right? In other words, I am of Paul, I am of Apollos. Clickishness, moral compromise, and other desperate ills were afflicting the church. Carnality outweighed spirituality. Sexual perversion, fornication, incest, and adultery were all tolerated. Can you imagine being involved in that type of church? Worldliness, materialism had set in. Church members were suing one another, 1 Corinthians 6, in secular courts. One faction was even promoting rebellion against apostolic uh, authority. You know, don't listen to them. The church had utterly failed to discipline a member who had fallen into gross sin, 1 Corinthians 5. Marital conflicts festered. And the role of single people were misunderstood. I mean, think about that. I mean, I'd want to quit. Liberty was being abused. Idolatry was being practiced. Selfishness ran rampant. Pride was widespread. And even demon worship had crept in. People were abusing God's intended roles for men and women, cheapening the Lord's Supper, and violating the love feast. And then on top of all that spiritual gifts were being perverted, misused, and prostituted. I mean, that's, that was the situation there. And they tended to equate his work, the Holy Spirit's work, with a static, involuntary, fanatical, mysterious activity. See, they had come from the mystery religions. That was very prevalent back then. They just assumed that if someone spoke in an ecstatic language, it had to come from God. And that was a misunderstanding on their part. That's the larger context. But the more specific context in 1 Corinthians 12, and again, this all has to do with serving one another because out of love, because they weren't loving. That was why Paul wrote 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14. He wrote it for two things. I wanted to show you how spiritual gifts work, and I want you to understand that if you don't have love while you're doing it, it's nothing. That's why he wrote... Chapters 12, 13, and 14. And in verse 1 of 12, he says, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I don't want you to be ignorant. Now think about that. They were ignorant. Could it be that we possibly are ignorant in certain areas of spiritual giftedness? Uh, Possibly. Possibly. Well, again, he tells us in verse 7, again, we're just going to be going very quickly through to get to verse chapter 13. Verse 7, it says, But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. That answers this question. What is the purpose of spiritual gifts? It is for what? The profit of all. I have been given a spiritual gift. You have been given a spiritual gift, not for your advocation, but for the profit of all. And then he goes through and look at uh, verse 12. And by the way, all through here, he's answering these questions. He's 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 saying, listen, the body has many parts but one unit. For as the body is one, verse 12, and has many members, but all members of that one body, but all the members of that one body being many are one body. Again, like the salad bowl. One, but individual. Not like the melting pot. But then there might be some problems. Well, what if the foot says, verse 15, because I'm not of a hand, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? And he says, well, of course not. You know, someone, but but remember, this is in the context of spiritual giftedness. Someone says, well, but I don't have that gift. I must not be that important. You know, I'm only like the salt in the salad bowl. You don't really see me. (coughs) But I guess you can taste, makes it better. Well, how about the flip side of that? Verse 21, And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. So the body should never, the people in the body, the the members of the body should never say, I'm not important. Nor should someone else look at someone else and say, you're not important. Again, the body has many parts and all are interdependent. Because that's why 21, The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. And not only that, But let's go down to verse 27. Now you are the body of Christ and members individually. In other words, there's parts, but none are exclusive. In other words, there's no spiritual gift that everyone has. Look at 28. And I know that because verse 28 says, And God has appointed these in the church. Now remember this. Whatever gift you has, have, it's not because you sought it. It's not because you pursued it. It's because God gave it. And he says that, by the way, four times in that passage. He says in the first part, 14, 28, or, uh, 21, I think it is in 28. He keeps going back to the fact that it's the Holy Spirit. It's God that has given the gift. That is huge because as we come together, we can't ever look at, well, I'm better than you and, you know, I pursued this. That just causes division. We all work together. Well, then the question would be this. Is there any gift that everyone should have? And he answers it in verse 29. Are all apostles? What's the answer to that? No. No, not all are apostles. Are all prophets? What's the answer? No. Are all teachers? No. Are all workers of miracles? Do all have the gift of healing? No. Do all speak with tongues? Now, now be real careful. No, I've heard people say, yes, they all should. I've heard people say that uh, tongues is a sign of spirituality. That, that is against this passage. Do all interpret? No, 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 no. In other words, does any one gift show that you are saved or are spiritual? Now, I want you to understand this. No. I know some of you have come from churches that have actually spoke that that way. You know, like, if you're really going to be spiritual, you're going to speak in tongues. No, that's not what the passage says. The whole point is, is that we're all individuals in the salad bowl. And you don't have to have a tomato turn into a cucumber. No, keep your tomato. You know, you, you have this gift, and you have this gift, and you have this gift. And we just have to and just function the way God has, has designed it. That's the point. Again, if you have a specific spiritual gift, is not the issue. But again, he goes on and says, But what is really important, look at verse 31. But earnestly desire the best gifts, and yet I show you a more excellent way. By the way, what does he mean by, but earnestly desire the best gift? That could either be a command or just a fact. Earnestly desire. I don't believe he's saying this. Earnestly desire to do the best gift. Because he has just told me four times that it's God that gives it. I'm not to seek in the sense of me doing, like, Lord, I really want to be an apostle. Lord, I really want to be an apostle. Lord, I really want to uh, heal. What he's saying is this. Well, he gave the in- indication when he when he started out in verse 28. He said, first apostle, second prophet, third teacher's, After that, miracles, gifts of healing, helps, administration, variety of tongues. You know what's really interesting there? And again, I'm going to camp on this thing of tongues. The gift of helps is considered more important than the tongues. Isn't that interesting? Because it starts out with apostles and prophets. Those were the foundation according to Ephesians 2. It is just amazing to me how the church of Christ has just gobbled this up, this whole thing of the supernatural gifts, and then spit it out in the wrong direction. Paul even says, if you have the gifts of help, you have a greater impact on the body of Christ than even someone with tongues. We have to be real careful because the because the gifts were given to strengthen and encourage and comfort the church and it has turned into it's the spiritual gifts that is destroying the Church of Christ in, in America because there's all these factions. And again, if we just would go back to the Word of God. So I believe this is what he's saying in verse 31. I think it's a command, because again, you can either read it as a command, it's the same form, command or fact, the indicative. But I believe he's saying this, "'Earnestly desire the best gift.'" Ask God to make that the the best gifts, the teaching gifts, the teaching, the gifts that are going to lead you towards being more like Jesus Christ are the ones that are really being pursued because your church is full of factions and, and divisions and you're not listening to God. You have immorality and perversion and everything else. You know, Lord, we want to know and we want to follow you. So earnestly desire those gifts. And yet I show you a more excellent way. And that's where he gets right into the love chapter. 1 Corinthians 13, we all know that, you know, love is. And, and you know, you hear it in, uh, uh, you know, ceremonies, wedding ceremonies. You hear it often, like I use it all the time in, uh, in uh, marriage counseling. But what we forget is sometimes it is found in the, in the section of scripture where Paul is dealing with spiritual gifts. And he's saying, "Listen, you are you are using your spiritual gifts. Catch this in a very unloving way. You're not loving." And so he says, "Let me let me tell you what the more excellent way is." Again, eh, the, the word "excellent" is um, hyperbole. Hyperbole, we get, it, 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 but in that, and this means it this go beyond. That okay. When you do a hyperbole, you're, you're giving an exaggeration. Okay, so he's saying, "Listen, an excellent. This is this is the this is what you really should excel in, Corinthians. <coughs> you're trying to excel in the supernatural gifts, and they're self, um, self, um, promoting. But if you really want to do it right." Paul says listen i want to show you the more excellent way i want you to excel not in the spiritual gifts but i want you to excel in love and then as you love use your spiritual gifts do you see which is it the is the spiritual gift the the horse or the cart and it should be this that love leads it and the spiritual gifts follow or to say this the love is the motivation got to be the motivation. What is love? Love is that selfless enduring commitment of the will to care about and benefit others through my what? My words, my thoughts, my actions, but it's the commitment. It's saying I want I care about you. And so then he gives a couple three illustrations of how they were doing it wrong. This is their wrong thinking. Look at verse 1 that this is wrong thinking that speaking in tongues or For that matter, I could say this. Or any form of speech, any form, is of greater importance than loving. Though I speak with the tongues of men. By the way, these tongues that he's referring to are the true tongues. There is a true gift of tongues. It was the ability to speak in a known language to a group of people when you had never studied that language to proclaim to them Christ in the gospel. See that at the day of Pentecost. It had been perverted into an ecstatic language where nobody could understand, only the interpreter, and then that was even being basically perverted. Well, again, you see it in the church. of. I remember years ago talking to a a, a godly man, but he kept saying, no, John, what, what, uh, what Paul was trying to do was affirm the Corinthians in the direction he was going. And I kept saying, no, no, the book of Corinthians is a book of correction. They were doing it wrong. I think you see that in the first verse, chapter 12. Don't be ignorant, right? But in the end, that speaking in tongues is of greater importance. Some people would say, well, the speaking of tongues, even the true language is more important than loving. Or look at this. For for though I speak with the tongues of men, true tongues, and of angels, because again, apparently the Corinthian church said that even their language was angelic, But have not love, I become a sounding brass and a clanging cymbal. Just noise. Noise. If you have kids at home, do they ever just make noise? Drives you crazy, you know? My one son loves the the, uh, drums. I love the drums, but it can be like noise. There was a sermon one time a guy gave. And he did this like this as he was talking about First Corinthians. In fact, it went on for 15 minutes. I know that if I do this for 15 minutes, I'll have an empty crowd. <laughs> but can you imagine someone going on like this for 15 minutes? Actually, Paul says, you know what? Your words are like just a clang. It's an irritation to God. It's an irritation to other people because it became so self-centered. You thought you, you might be enjoying it, but God was not being honored through it. So will you just please stop the clanging? Okay. Irritating, loud, obnoxious, aggravating, repulsive. I guess those are the words. Now, again, MacArthur said this. The desire to be seen and revered by others as spiritual was why the gift of languages was exploited and perverted to such a great degree. Certain believers used a static speech as if, it, as if it were the true language or gift of languages. What they were doing couldn't be identified with any normal human faculty, so it was interpreted as coming from God. But again, the problem in the church Started when the Corinthians started to confuse the work of the Holy Spirit with the mystical practices that they had known in their pagan religion. See, again, they had mystery religions. Did you know that in every mystery religion, in every religion of the world, they have what they known as ecstatic tongues? It's only in true Christianity where the true gift of tongues, the ability to speak a language I never studied is actually found. So again... Paul says, listen, stop just jabbering, trying to make yourself look spiritual, because you don't have love. (coughs) How about this, others, how about this next thought, second wrong thought, verse 2, 1 Corinthians 13, 2. It's wrong thinking that knowing and faith is of greater importance than loving. That's wrong thinking too. First wrong thinking, that you speak in tongues, or some angelic, and somehow you are more spiritual. Second wrong thinking, that thinking that you know it all, but have not love. Notice the all's here. And though I have the gift of prophecy, and understand all mysteries, and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I can remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. Man, all. You come to me... And you asked me to explain to you the Incarnation. I've had a conversation with someone in this church about this recently. You know, the Incarnation. How was it that, that the Holy Spirit moved upon uh, Mary? And, and we, we never came to a complete conclusion. I know some things, you know some things. But we're not, but how about if I was able to explain it to you totally? You asked me about the Trinity. I can handle that one. No, I can't. But, but this, what Paul is saying, listen, what if you had all knowledge? I mean, you had all, all understanding of all mysteries. And then he even goes on, he says, and you had all faith. All faith. Could remove mountains. Unbelievable knowledge. Unbelievable. And yet had not love. You know, I think sometimes we pride ourselves, maybe that's the wrong word, but on understanding. By the way, I believe we are an intelligent group. I think, you know, I've studied a lot and sometimes I, you know, I can answer the question. Well you know what if I don't have love, nothing that by the way, that is hugely convicting because that says that a pastor who teaches all the time or a Sunday school teacher or an Olympian leader or whatever counselor, you could be doing a lot of it, but in your heart there's not love, God says nothing you know it's not like i'm God's not impressed you know what it, it's funny because that word um, i mean that that same idea as uh, Corinthians eight. Knowledge, what, puffs up. Love, edifies. That's wrong thinking. Somehow that, that we have enough, you know, knowledge, knowledge. Sometimes I think we put too much emphasis on knowledge. By the way, we have to have truth. That's foundational. But if you don't love, nothing. How about the next, last one? Wrong thinking. That sacrifice is of greater importance than loving. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor. I mean, that's really generous. Just give it away. Lord, you know, I'm giving it away. And though I have, and though I give my body to be burned, which he doesn't use the word all, but that's all. When you say your body, that's it, okay? All your physical, that's martyrdom. But have not love, it profits me nothing. One man said this. Love is always self-sacrificing. But self-sacrifice does not necessarily come from love. If you have true love, it's always self-sacrificing. But as you look around, not all self-sacrifice is truly driven by love. So I had to ask myself, John, when you try to sacrifice for the Lord, is it out of love? When I sacrifice for a person, is it out of love? Well, you say, well, what else would it be? I mean self-affliction, self-deprivation. By the way, monasticism can be found in cults. In other words, doing either harm to your body or or neglecting your body. One writer said, When persecution of the early church became intense, (coughs) some believers actually sought martyrdom as a way of becoming famous or of gaining special heavenly credit. But when sacrifice is motivated by self-interest and pride, it loses its spiritual value. No matter how much a person may suffer because of his Christian service and testimony, he has no spiritual gain if his witness and work are not ministered to and motivated by love. Quote. Yeah, have, have people actually gone and died and done it out of the wrong motivation? Yes. Isn't that sad? Isn't it sad that we could we could be doing the right thing with the wrong motive? See, the motive could be reward or recognition or sainthood. Again, we don't believe in sainthood. You can't earn your salvation. But the reality is that's why people have died. You go to other religions. That's why they are allowed to. You know, they they uh, allow themselves to be martyred. Now, so what do we do with this? We just step back and you say this, Lord, help help me, help us to really evaluate why we do what we do. You know, why do we do what we do? Is it out of love for him? Is it out of love for his people? Or is it for some other reason? The loveless person produces nothing, is nothing, gains nothing. That's where it's really frightful. I could be serving for 20-some years. I would have been in the ministry 25 years. Lord, am I doing it out of love for you? Well, you know what I would say is this. In and out. In and out. Yeah, sometimes I'm doing it for the right motivation. Sometimes I'm doing it for the wrong. And you say, well, how can you tell? Well, let's go to this last part, the perfections of love. And we're not going to get through the whole outline that you have there. I knew we were going to pick up the last characteristics. But let's look at the perfections of love. Because now I can start understanding whether or not my ministry, the use of my spiritual gifts, is really motivated by love or not. Because he says, look it, this is what love is. Again, Remember that this is in the context of spiritual gifts. You can use it for marriage. You can use it for how your children should love. But again, it's in the context of spiritual gifts. And I believe if you add all 15 characteristics up, this is a portrait of Jesus Christ. This is how Jesus Christ responds to you. By the way, first one's real important, patient. Isn't that great? Aren't you glad Christ is patient with you? Every one of these characteristics are verbs in the present tense. Okay, Half of them are negative, half of them are positive. That means sometimes he's saying this is what love doesn't do, and sometimes he says this is what love does do. And by the way, every one of them are convicting. No matter how spiritual or how mature you are, they're always convicting. And I hope that you, just, you don't be frightened of it. You just say, yes, thank you, Lord. Thank you that I can still be convicted. But you can be, by the way, you can be convicted and encouraged at the very moment. Thank you that I know. Thank you for the growth I've seen in my life. And now I see where I need to keep moving towards. You know, every time I get convicted, I don't feel like this. (sighs) I just can't wait to go to church. Get more weight on my shoulder. Because then I can really feel godly. (laughs) No. Like I said, he's patient. If you know who God is, then it's a joy to learn about him. It's a joy to know what he wants you to do. Well, the first one is love is patient. Probably only get through a couple of these. But do you see how important this is as a church? See, we can talk about love and, you know. No, no, this is, this is where the rubber meets the road. This is whether you're, you are. When I talked about, is, are you here for convenience or commitment? This is the commitment that we're talking about. Love is patient. That word is macrothumia. Thumia is passion. It can be negative or positive, but it's passion. Macro, large. This is a large, passionate person. I don't mean weight-wise. I'm saying that you're passionate. You've got a lot of passion. You've got a huge amount of passion. Or, let me put it in context, to be of a long spirit. You don't lose heart. That's really what he's getting at. When he's saying passionate long-term, you don't lose heart. And he's primarily saying that in the context of people, not circumstances. It's not like, you know, you, you know, you're going home and your transmission falls out of your car. and Oh, I'm so frustrated. Yeah, it would be frustrating. But he's, he's talking here with patience with people. In fact, you can track this, macrothemia through Scripture. And he's always talking about people when he's using that word. By the way, there's another word, hupomen talking about circumstance. But here he's specifically saying, as you deal with people, are you patient? The idea is this. Are you able to be wrong and not retaliate? Hmm. Now think about that in the context of a church. Are you ever wronged in the group of people that you have connected with? Oh yeah, periodically, right? You are, sometimes you're let down by people. You're hurt by people. They didn't live up to your expectations, or we didn't live up to yours, or you didn't live up to ours, whatever it might be. You see, so patience has to do with people. An old church father said, it is a word which is used of a man who is wronged and who has it easy in his power to avenge himself, but will never do it. Because love, that's what love is. Now again, the Greeks looked at this as a sign of weakness. Okay, Greeks, by the way, Greek writing, that's why you don't see this word, even love. You don't see agape in Greek writing often. And the reason is because they looked at it as a sign of weakness, just like humility. They looked at it, humility as like a huge, why would you ever want to be humble? Kill your enemy, destroy them. But here, but again, Paul picks up on this word and says, no, no, that's not what the world points you to, but that's what God points you to. So again, patience will not retaliate. It endures offenses. It is not hasty. It waits for the Lord to right all wrongs. You see it in Stephen's words when he says, Lord, remember when he's being stoned, do not hold this sin against them. That's patience. It says of of our Lord, Jesus Christ, the Lord is not slack concerning his promises. Some count slackness, but is long suffering. Same exact word. Towards us, Not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. God is very, very patient. Very, very patient. And that's what he wants his children to be towards each other. And towards all, but especially towards each other. Thessalonians says, be patient to all. But here it's in the context of the church. To other Christians. Again, the Corinthians weren't patient. They were, they were like suing each other and, you know... Factions and divisions and all that had to do with, you know, like getting my way and they were very proud. They said, man, I wish I could speak to you as mature. You're babes. But, but again, God has called us to be patient. There's an illustration of this. Robert Ingersoll, the well-known atheist of the last century, would often stop in the middle of his lectures against God and say this, quote, I'll give God five minutes to strike me dead for the things I've said, end quote. He then used the fact that he was not struck dead as proof that god did not exist theodore parker said of ingersoll's claim and did the gentleman think that he could exhaust the patience of the eternal god in 5 minutes <laughs> i love that <laughs> i mean do you think you could exhaust god in 5 minutes that's why romans 2 says or do you despise which means look down on the the riches of his goodness forbearance and long suffering Not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? That's the word. You you know, you despise the goodness that took so patient to bring you to repentance? By the way, you despise that when you don't act like that towards your brothers. Love is not only patient, but number two, it's kind. What's interesting is that Romans 2 that I just talked about long patience or long suffering of god the second word kindness is also found there knowing that the kindness of god leads you to repentance the kindness by the way this word kindness you know you're supposed to be kind to one another that's what love is i should use my giftedness to be kind i mean that's the motivation my gifts should be used in a way that it shows kindness and you say, well, what does kindness mean? It's not being nice. I want you to understand this. This word nice is overtaking Christianity at the time. It's not about being nice. Like, like when Paul said this in, in Corinthians 3, and I, brethren, could not speak to you as, as spiritual, but as to carnal and as to babes. That's not nice. That was offensive to them, I'm sure. Hopefully they you know repented. But it was truth, and he did speak it in love. This this idea of uh, kindness, be kind, love is kind. This is what it means to have active goodwill, serving graciously. It seeks to help, and I, this is probably the best, the thing that really connected with me. It is constructive. That's the point. That's really what he's getting at when he's saying kind. In other words, you are you are doing it. You are constructive. It's out of good, of active goodwill. You're doing it so the person progresses in their Christian walk. In other words, it helps when hurt. It blesses when cursed. It shows tenderness when there's none to be found other way. It's generous. And also the idea is it's mild. It all does it with a carefulness. Kindness does it with a care. Have you ever known someone trying to help you, but they, like a bull in the cl- uh, uh, china cabinet? You know, it's just like... <laughs> and by the time they're gone, they tried to help you, but when it was all said and done, it wasn't constructive. In fact, they might even shot a couple verses at you. God does all things well. All things work together for good. You know, and by the time you felt like you're shot up, not like, you know, helped along the path, You know, and the Corinthians, they weren't kind. They, you know, came to the love feast and didn't bring any food for anyone else, and they were selfish and proud and self-serving and unloving. And And Paul says, you know, as you as you minister your spiritual gift to your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, make sure it's kind. Make sure there's active goodness. Make sure that you're tender and careful and you're really doing it for them. And and if they don't receive it, let's say you write a letter and you're, you, know, you have the gift of mercy and you write a letter and they never respond to you, you're okay because you sent it. Or you're, you're, you're an encourager and an exhorter and you expel yourself and they just don't seem to be getting it. You're patient and you're continuing down this path and you're showing love. Do you see how that plays out in gifts all the time? Or you really put yourself, you're, you have the gift of leadership administration and you just put all kinds of hours in getting this thing to really work and it just doesn't seem that people even care and appreciate. But patience and kindness would say, no, but I'm doing it for them, Lord. And you know my heart and I'm going to keep doing it. It doesn't quit. It will not quit. That's what God wants. He wants his children to love each other. And I see I'm basically out of time, so I can't go any farther. You know, there's an interesting story, though. Let me just tell you the story. It's about a fourth century Christian Augustine. And he was an ungodly, immoral. I mean, you read his life story and he's, you know, he's just a, the playboy of the fourth century and, and all that comes with him. Very intelligent though. He was, he was considered one of the greatest minds that ever came out of that, that era. Well, there was this godly man named Ambrose. And Ambrose was a preacher. And he, pre- he preached truth, he preached truth, and he preached truth. And periodically Augustine would hear Ambrose. Didn't like Ambrose. Didn't like what he said, but what he said at the end was this: because Augustine finally got saved. Years and the you know after time, God through the ministry of Christians and Ambrose affected his heart, and he he received Christ. And again, Augustine was one of the greatest Christian thinkers. After that, I mean, he was he's huge. Whenever you're reading about church history, Augustine comes up. But this is what he says: he said I disagreed with his teaching. But he won me with his love. Won me with his love. The guy was patient. The guy was kind. And a lot of other these characteristics. And you know, I, I'm reading a book by Wayne Mack, and, and, the, and the book's name is Maximum Impact. And, 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 and Wayne Mack's whole premise is this. He says, you know what? As a church, we can have all kinds of knowledge and we can be speaking it. And we can have everything together and all systematized and all mechanical and it's all there and all trying to do everything we need to do. But he says, if you really want to have impact in this world, show love. He's not disregarding truth. He's just saying, make sure that when you do your giftedness, when you do the one another's, when you're reaching out to your neighbor that's not even saved, make sure it's out of love. Otherwise, It's nothing. Otherwise, you're just that irritating gong. I think sometimes people look at us and they say, you know, I don't know. They keep saying they have the right way, but boy, they're so irritating. Let's make sure we speak the truth. We speak it in love. We do it for God first, for Christ first. We're trying to show Christ. How how did Christ, Christ, the perfection, Christ is love. So again, I trust that you're going to be, ask God to evaluate your life. Why, why am I doing this? Because if you find yourself periodically wanting to just give up, irritating. Maybe I'm just trying maybe I'm just speaking out of my own. Periodically I go through this in myself. You know, just people. I'm just giving you a little heart of a little picture and a window into my soul. I'm not saying recently. I'm just saying I've had to go back and say, you know what? It's no wonder I'm ready to give up because it's not love that's generating, because love is patient and if i really care about people then that's those are not the thoughts are going to be in it's going to be lord lord just give me give me the word so that they can grow in you or just kind of shoot and say you know god will take care of it all all things work together for good just lord no wait a second let me slow this down let me be careful with people they need to be gentle And so you bring, he draws me back. He draws you back and says, listen, let's make sure we serve out of love. Let's stand as we worship him. As we bow for prayer, I'm just going to give you a moment to go before the Lord and just ask him, Lord, are the things I'm doing motivated by love? Let's pray. Father, I thank you that you've given us your word that is so clear and Lord much of this message has convicted my heart over this last few weeks Lord help us to be a body of believers that are motivated by love Lord thank you that there are the Ambroses out there that proclaim truth but they do it in such a loving way Lord help us to have maximum impact with those around us again Help us not to back down on using our spiritual gifts because of what if we're not doing it out of love. But let us go forward knowing that as your spirit motivates us, as your spirit controls us, as we walk with him, he's going to produce it in us. Lord, I thank you that, again, this is is something that we can't do on our own, that you are truly love. And as we walk with you, you produce all these fruits in our lives. I pray that you would guide us, give us wisdom and understanding, help us to change in areas we need to change. Lord, thank you that this entire process is done through you and through your strength. So we ask that we would go out now to minister for you so that we might glorify you in Christ's name. Amen.